Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth in your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. I'm Becca Piastrelli and thank you so much for joining me, for tuning in, for creating some space in your life to share this moment with me and connect to your own wisdom. Today, I want to continue this conversation about ancestors and ancestral connection that we've been talking about as we are in the autumn. We are in the season of the ancestors, thin veils, waning energy, witchiness abound. Man, autumn is so good. We just had our first rain last night. I'm in Northern California, just over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And this is typically a really scary time for us for fire danger. Last year, we had a really devastating fire nearby, just north of us in the month of October. And we've had a really, we've had several this year that have been just north of us that have been really devastating. And it's because our land is really dry and our land tends to be dry. And we have been experiencing drought for many years around this time, not getting enough rain in the winter. And then the winds pick up around October and there's less water in the plants. The plants are starting to get crunchy and die off. And so that's a huge fire risk. And fire is a natural part of the cycles, the processes of nature. But we humans have built our dwellings and cemented the earth. And so it's a little bit harder when, when fire comes up for it to burn naturally and safely and healthily. And so fires are really scary here in a nutshell. So then last night it began to rain and it looks like this October won't be like last October. 
This time last year, it was really hot here and the fog wasn't quite as thick in the evenings like it's been this time. And when the rain came down, I, I just felt an ancestral level of joy and excitement. I can't even describe. I ran outside and I just let it drip and pour all over me. And my cats were super freaked out. And I was like, get out here. (laughs) Crazy cat lady alert with my two cats in my arms, just singing and dancing and just feeling such joy for the water coming from the sky, such blessings. And just thinking about my ancestors, what my ancestors are, the ancestors of this land who are not my ancestors, how they would have felt for the first rain after a long dry period. It just felt really important moment to celebrate and to share here with you in this really sacred thin veiled time of autumn. So today, continuing on that thread, I want to talk about something that has been really deeply a part of my work, not just in in spiritual practice, but in in my practice of trying to be a good ally, a good human in these times, not just get stuck in ancestor time, but to be here now and to see the injustice that is occurring in the world and how I can be a part of dismantling it and being the the healing salve for all this pain. And so this topic is decolonization. Now you might be really confused by that word or might feel really heavy and scary, kind of like the word racism or white supremacy. But I'm I'm gonna ask you to trust me. If you've been in my spaces before, you know we got this and I got you. And I'd love for you to just ground with me before we begin. So just take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Again, in through your nose and out through your mouth. One more time, deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Really feeling yourself rooted into the earth, maybe envisioning your two feet like tree trunks, rooted, gnarled into the soil beneath you, grounding you, nourishing you with the waters, underground waters and nutrients of the soil. Really feeling yourself supported here to do this brave and important and vital work. And taking one more deep breath. And letting it go. And opening your eyes. Okay, so what is colonization, guys? Oh my gosh, I'm working on my language and I've realized, guys, is something I don't want to say anymore. And I say it a lot. So I'm going to try it again. So what is colonization, friends? There we go. I wonder what it brings to mind for you. I remember I grew up in on the East Coast, well, partially. And 
my mother's family is from New England. And I actually went back to New England to, I went to, for college, I went to college in Boston. And I have a deep love for New England, also a tiny bit of not love. <laughs> it's confusing as we'll get, go down that path together today. But there's this pride in the colonies, colonial America, colonial style homes. These words colonies, you know, remembering our our U.S. history and learning about the original 13 colonies in the New World and coming over from Europe in search of opportunity. Well, there's another way to look at that. And here's, here's a quote that I read that really nailed it for me. To be colonized is to become a stranger in your own land. So to colonize is to take what is not belonging to you and claiming it as yours. Think about that. That can be super micro, like seeing a flower you like and just picking it and saying, this is my flower now. Or macro, coming to Turtle Island and saying, this looks like a great place to establish a new nation, a new life. It's mine. So I have ancestors who did that. I'll just say it. I have ancestors on my mother's side who came over in the 1600s. I've shared this before and settled in what is now known as Maine, right? And um, claimed it as theirs, defended it against the natives, the Abenaki Native Americans who were there. I'm feeling weird about saying Native Americans, indigenous folk, they were there. So that's the other side of the story is to be colonized is to become a stranger in your own land. And how horrifying and painful that would be if that was your heritage. Now, I also have Irish ancestry in me, and Ireland has a long history of being colonized as well. The first written word of, of Ireland is the Book of Invasions, it has been invaded and primarily colonized in recent history by Britain, by Great Britain, which carries with it its own pain. So there are many lands all over this world that have experienced colonization. The entire continent of Africa has experienced colonization. And it has some pretty harmful ramifications. The biggest one that really hurts my heart is this idea that a land is colonized to benefit the colonizers and not the natives. So I think about how Nigeria had one of the first transcontinental telephone lines that could call back to Europe. But the people of Nigeria, it took them many more years for them to even get proper sewage and running water. So who was getting the access to Europe? The colonizers and the people who built that telephone line and built that infrastructure didn't benefit from it. So a lot of what I've sit by what I've been sitting with has been the truth of the fact that I have an immense amount of privilege as a white woman today, an American, because I am descended from the colonizers of this land who succeeded in their task 
of creating a, quote, better life for themselves here. But at the cost of what? Well, death and starvation and imprisonment and internment and slavery and violence against the people who were here and also people brought over from Africa and slave folk. So to decolonize is to take a look at that, is to not say, well, what's, what's happened in the past is in the past. Those people are dead. I am a good one. I am different. Uh, I'm not going to look at that. I get, I, I used to do that, friends. I used to do that because it just seemed pointless. But I now understand, thanks to so many incredible teachers, that in order to do right by the ancestors of the indigenous people on this land, I've got to take a look at it and sit with it. And through that, can I truly dig in and be a part of creating a better, more liberated society now? So I just want to say, there's no such thing as being fully decolonized. It's sort of like, there's no such thing as being 100% woke to your privilege. It's, it's just inherent in this system. It's just inherent that there are going to be blind spots or things we'll never be able to find out, especially when it comes to ancestry stuff. So it's about being in devotion. It's like you can't fully be not racist, but you can be committed to anti-racism. You can't fully be decolonized, but you can have decolonization practices in place. And when I hear people say that, I'm like, right on. To admit that there's going to be imperfections and ways in which we harm still, and to still show up to this work, however it looks for you, is so important. So I've mentioned my ancestors who were the oppressors, and I've mentioned my ancestors that were the oppressed. And so that's something to remember in this work, because I think the white shame is really intense. And so we can either avoid this work or just get consumed in this work by the idea that we are descended from people who cause such harm. And I'm saying we, and I don't know exactly who we is I don't know your past, I don't know your ancestry, I don't know your ethnic identity. So I'm speaking for myself when I say the we and anyone else who identifies with what I'm saying. There's this quote by Aurora Levens Morales that someone read at a white allyship circle I'm a part of here in Oakland where we were talking about ancestors and decolonizing and it, it was really powerful. So I'm going to read it. History is long wide and deep. And all of us have ancestors who can be absolutely proud of. All of us have ancestors that have raided and killed and raped and burned. All of us have ancestors who participated in the subjugation of others. And all of us have ancestors who stood up for their neighbor and took risks. That is true of every single one of us. You will find every possible story in your own family tree. So whatever you're afraid of encountering, it's there. And whatever you are praying you will encounter, it's there. I believe that every lineage holds points of pride. The fact is that if we can go looking, we will find their humanity. 
If you go looking in dreadful heritages, you will find people to love and cherish. Somewhere behind every atrocious, despicable act is the story of a wound. We can work with it in many ways. That, oh, I remember my whole body quaked when I heard that quote because it felt so true. There's a lot of grief that comes up in acknowledging the darker shadowy parts of our ancestry, but there is a lot of hope and source of resilience and love in looking down that way too. So I want to next acknowledge any sort of deep trauma that comes up with ancestor work, particularly if you are someone who's had to physically separate yourself from family or ancestors for mental health or to get out of harm's way. I really honor that. And you can do your decolonizing work in a maybe a different way from the way I am. And that's something I really want to underscore here is there's no one path of decolonization. Every human story is different. Every ancestry is vastly complex, and we are each following the path that is laid out in front of us. So if there's some pretty intense ancestral trauma that feels like unsafe to go down, then that is honored. You know, there are some pretty rough folk in my ancestral past, and what I do when I am talking about it or I'm really um, journeying or meditating or even just thinking about my ancestral past is I ask for the protection of all my ancestors who are bright and well and come in a good way to protect me in this work, who are rooting for me to do this work, who are doing this work in ancestral time with me to protect us and to keep this healing work flowing. So I offer that, I offer that. And I also know it's not always that simple and you know best for what you need, but I, I, I invite you to do ancestral connection work and decolonization work in a way that feels good for you, but to not walk away from it. So what are some ways to approach a process of decolonization? Well, I think the number one thing to look at is your practices today and what you're drawn to and to gently and lovingly question what doesn't feel in integrity, even if you meant well or you didn't know, to look at it again with fresh eyes. You know, I had to look at the dream catchers I had and I had to ask myself, do I know who made these? Were they indigenous folk? Do I even know the origin tribe and creation myth and story around a dream catcher? My answers were no. And I meant, well, and I love dream catchers and I used to make them in a Girl Scout camp. And then I just was like, wow, interesting. Okay. I'm going to take a look at that. Actually, there's an article I want to link to from Rachel Rice, who is such an amazing, oh, good writer. And she used to sell dream catchers. She's a white woman. 
And she decided to look at that work too and ended up feeling like it wasn't in integrity anymore. And she shut down her dream catcher business. I mean, she was making good money from it. She was shut down her dream catcher business. And in her post where she talks about it, she says this, what I think we can do is really engage our empathy and try to imagine what it must be like for the folks who have had white people as a group massacre your people, steal your land, force sterilize your women, relegate you to reservations, poison your water with pipelines and copper mines, not to mention rip your ancestry from you completely as was done with chattel slavery. Then imagine seeing white people profit from adopting the very traditions your people were once at best marginalized and at worst exterminated for practicing. What she's referring to is the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which wasn't passed until 1978, which meant before 1978, if an indigenous person was practicing any of their spiritual traditions, including the burning of white sage, which a lot of spiritual people do nowadays, some not even really understanding why or the origins or having a dream catcher, they could be thrown in prison, have their children taken away from them and put forcefully put into these re-education schools, have their hair cut, their hair, which was long and connected to their connection to spirit and is very, just the most disrespectful thing you can do. Not to mention so many other uh, ways they were punished. And it wasn't until 1978, what was that, 40 years ago, that they were able to do that. So see what Rachel's saying? She says, would you still feel entitled to making money off their traditions, their artworks, and their spiritual practices? Have we not stolen enough shit from them? Can you imagine how it must feel to see your sacred objects mass-produced and sold by conservative companies like Free People and Urban Outfitters, or your styles of hairdress and music be a liability at work for you, but a hip trend for a socialite? If what you're borrowing runs the risk of hurting someone's heart, is it worth having? It's a hard decision, right? We like the things we have. We like our spiritual traditions. Maybe you have a teepee for your child in your house. Have you asked yourself what the origin of a teepee is or what its important is? Who made that teepee? Is it in integrity? Starhawk says cultural appropriation is to steal from the ancestors without giving back to their descendants. So I'm just, I'm asking you, I'm asking me, is what we're buying, is what we're practicing, benefiting the descendants of those ancestors our ancestors stole from. I know it's hard. And I've had to go through those feelings of not wanting to give things up. But for us to be a collectively liberated society, for us to make it right, those of us who identify as white have to give some things up. And it's hard at the beginning, but I tell you, it actually feels so good to release what is no longer an integrity instead of like trying to ignore that really big, loud, like elephant in the room. That's like, look at me, look at this. Think about this. Another way I've really looked at decolonizing myself and my work and my practices has been connecting with my indigeneity. 
I am a woman with culture. There's this myth of whiteness. So just so we're clear, whiteness is a construct. I am, I am of European descent in this modern racial construct. Yes, I'm white, but there has been a severing in the story of colonization and the story of immigration and the story of globalized capitalism that we white Americans have no culture. And therefore, the only culture that's available to us is those of Native traditions that have been preserved. Peruvian, Native American, Eastern, whatever it is. I'm not saying you can't have that. I'm asking you to look at that and see how you can be in more integrity with that. And I'm also asking, as I've asked myself, do you know your own spiritual, earth-honoring, indigenous traditions? They are vast. They are powerful. I right now am working with the Celtic traditions of my ancestors. And that's just a small part of my ethnic ancestral mix. But I, right now I'm feeling so called to look at Ireland and Scotland. And, and you know, before they were Ireland and Scotland, they were tribal lands. And before Christianity, they honored the earth and their ancestors And in some ways, people in those lands still preserve that throughout time, which is why I love to go there. I like to go on pilgrimage and be there with the land to feel that ancient, those ancient ancestors buried in the land beneath me. And if you're European, there's a lot out there in the folk tales and the myths. I'll be talking about this in the next episode, in the food and the music for you to connect more deeply with that. That is decolonization work to say... Screw you, whiteness, that says that I don't have culture. I do have culture, and I'm going to reconnect it, even if I wasn't raised knowing my, the dishes of the lands my people came from. I'm going to find them again. I'm going to be with them again, and I'm going to create new traditions honoring the ancestors of my lineage. Another way I'm working to decolonize is making the act of cultural reparations. So I remember first learning about reparations when I learned about World War I and World War II in high school and how Germany had to make reparations to the rest of Europe for like what it did for Hitler and Nazism and the Holocaust. And I, I learned about cultural reparations from a woman named Darla Antwine, who I interviewed over video earlier this year, who identifies as both European and First Nation Okanagan. And I really liked this because I sort of felt helpless in my ancestral research when I found out more about my slave-owning ancestors and about my native indigenous people-killing ancestors and, and you know, the origins of the wealth on my mother's side. And I just, I started feeling really sick to my stomach. And then I, and then I learned about and remembered reparations. Like, how can I use my privilege, my money, my platform, my ability to educate this podcast to honor the descendants of the ancestors my ancestors colonized? So that's about giving money to Native artists, making sure I support Native artists both online and in person. It's about giving regular donations to the tribal council of the land I live on right now. It's about giving my time 
two causes here in the Bay Area that Indigenous folks are working on, particularly around preserving sacred sites and resisting development on their sacred sites. It's about asking all of you to think, to think about who was on your land before you, to think about even the tiniest act of picking a flower before asking if it wants to be picked yet or wondering who it belongs to, to think about that assumption that it belongs to you. Robin Wall Kimmerer wrote this incredible book called Braiding Sweetgrass. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it, where she talks about this concept of reciprocity, which is a part of our earth-honoring ancestors' way of being, way of life, which is mutual exchange. If I am going to pick this rose, what am I going to give in return? You know, and I have herbalist teachers who say it can be a hair, it can be some of your saliva, some of your blood. A traditional offering in many native traditions is tobacco. My friend Erin Duffy Oswald offers her first produce, her first harvest in her garden to the land spirits where she lives in Montana. Think about it, that first beautiful ripe tomato. Nope, it goes to the land first. Offerings. The inner colonizer is in all of us, just like the inner critic is in all of us. It sneaks out. Think about those times, those moments where you just want to claim and take as yours. And let's work to reprogram it. That is decolonizing work. I am not fully decolonized, let's be clear, but I am devoted. And I want to share this because one thing that whiteness does is it gets us to shut up and be quiet because we're so afraid of being wrong. We're so afraid of being called out. We're so afraid of talking about it, acknowledging it as real. Some call it white fragility. But harm is harm. Even if we have the best of intentions, harm is harm. And you and I can acknowledge the harm, love ourselves through it, and do better. We can do that. So that's a huge part of ancestral connection. It's the shadowy bits that make us uncomfortable, but it is incredibly liberating to take a look at it and to do better, really do better. So I'm going to drop a few more bits. That's such a funny word, bits. I feel like my, my British friends say bits. I'm about to go to England and I'm, I'm noticing I'm starting to like say English words. Is that ancestral? I don't know. What I mean is I'm going to drop a few more links in the show notes. If you want to go deeper in understanding decolonization, the system, the social system that is colonization, I have some recommended books for you. I'm moving slowly and steadily through this. I would recommend grounding before doing any work here and know that it gets easier over time, but that it's our responsibility to do this. And I trust you and I believe in you. One more thing I wanted to say is I think it can be really tempting to look back at your ancestors that made some choices that you wouldn't make and really go into a place of anger and frustration and hatred. And I've been doing that actually (laughs) a lot lately. And my mom called me out on it. I had recently learned that one of my ancestors was the preside, one of the presiding judges over the Salem witch trials. So literally 
one of the men who ordered women to burn and drown and every other thing. It was a hard pill to swallow. It still is. I'm sitting with it. It definitely feels my work though. I'll tell you that. And I said, mom, are you horrified? I'm, I can't, I'm sick to my stomach, you know? And she said a bunch of things that I think will remain between us. But one thing that was important that I think she won't mind me sharing is that these were people who made choices based on the time they were in. And we can't possibly imagine making those choices, but in order for us to heal and and do better, that we have to see them as human You know, it's like looking at the alcoholic ancestor and saying, oh, they just didn't have enough tools to cope and that was their coping. You know, it doesn't absolve them of the harm they caused. It doesn't absolve them of the harm they caused. But to see them as human beings, definitely one I'm really trying to massage and work on. But I really heard her when she said that, you know, would we have chosen the same thing in that time, Becca? And I'm like, no, but I don't know. I don't know. History is interesting that way. But I'm here now. I'm here now to do better and to know these stories, to tell these stories, and to encourage you to know your stories and tell your stories and do better. Because when we just try to throw a blanket over it and not look at it, it's still there and it just grows. So thank you for listening to this one. If you have any questions or comments or stories, please let me know on Instagram at Becca Piastrelli, or you can head to belongingpodcast.com where all the show notes will be for this episode and you can leave a comment there. I am super grateful for your time and energy today. May all your ancestors come in a good and bright and well way and encourage you and cheer you on and keep you safe throughout this journey. I will see you in a few weeks and we'll talk more about ancestral connection with your indigenous original ancestors. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.